are continuing our, in our series on apathy, and this morning we look for a scriptural answer and uh, to the question, or what may be an excuse, can't someone else do it? Have you heard that before? We have all thought that to ourselves. Can't somebody else do it? I'm too busy, or I don't feel like that's for me. Can't somebody else do this? I don't really feel like doing it. Our scripture comes from Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. The scripture will be on the screen behind me and on your screen at home. Would you read together with me in one voice? Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example, the leadership of Moses. Moses had to learn a few things along the way, how to follow you, how to respond to the call of God on his own life. So Father, today I pray that you'd break the spirit of apathy in our lives and that you'd help us to say yes to you. Yes to the call of God. Yes to doing what you've called us uniquely to do. So, Father, I pray that you would arrest all the excuses, that you would stop the delay of, of, of procrastination, and you'd allow us to get to the bottom line, which is obedience in following Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you'd enable your people to hear the word to apply it to their lives and to obey it. Lord, I pray that uh, as I humble myself before you, I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need your power. I need your boldness to communicate the word of God to your people. So grant me that, Lord, so that this can be effective time. This can be ministry time. And eventually, this can be kingdom time. And so we thank you for your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You may be seated. There is only one, one you in the world, one you in all of history. And even if you have the most generic of names or the most popular name, I remember the name Christopher was really popular, you are unique. How many people have a twin? Any twin, twins in the house? We had one in the first service. Anybody have a twin? I see two in the back. Yes, I do. I see two over here. Good to see you. Good, twins are in the house, represent. Even if we are twins and we share the same DNA, you are still a different person. And you are fearfully and you're wonderfully made by your maker God. 
See, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make duplicates. Every human being that is created is a one of a kind, amen? And that should make you feel good. That should affirm you today. You should recognize that you are special in God's eyes, that he's done something particularly unique with you that cannot be replicated in somebody else. So that means that when God asks you to do something, he really means it. That's the fact. He he chose you and he chooses you out of the people in the world because he knows you better than you even know yourself. He knows what you can do. He knows your potential. And he knows what you cannot do. He knows your limitations. And yet often when God calls us, when God calls out our name or gives us an assignment in our life, we reject his invitation. The problem in the text is found in verse 13, when Moses said to God, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Not me. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I could be doing something else. I don't want to do what you're calling me to do. Please send someone else. Send him, send her, just don't send me. And so Moses politely, he asked God to change his plans to send someone else in his place. And what was the Lord's response to Moses? And what would be the Lord's response to us if we answered in a similar way? Well, the answer is this. We would be met with God's anger. Apathy is always met with God's anger. And when we reject the call of God, we are suggesting that the Lord is wrong and that we are right. That we have a better way and that his way is is a lesser way. We presume to know better than the all-knowing one. And so in response to the question, can't someone else do it? The answer is that God doesn't want options. God wants obedience. He doesn't want 10 different ways that you can accomplish this. God, I think you could do A and B and C and D and E and all these other options. No, he just wants you to be obedient to what he's asking you to do. So this morning, I want to show you that God has given you the capacity to do what he has called you to do like Moses in Exodus 4, 10 to 17 because, simple facts, he has created you because he can help you And because he can send people to partner with you. Look at that first point together. God created you. Isn't that awesome? God created you. God created these little babies that were on the stage. God has created each and every one of us. Verse 10 and 11, we read, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, and I love the way God replies to him. He gets right down to it. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? The Lord is in control. As I've taught before in our series in Exodus, Moses' lack of eloquence was really an excuse. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He had received the best education possible. And this was attested by the deacon Stephen later in Acts chapter 7 verse 22, where he recounts the story of Israel and the life of Moses. And he says this of Moses, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of all the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. Are you catching that? He's powerful in speech and in action. 
This is how Moses is actually remembered. And even though he was educated in the wisdom of the world, he was not educated in the things of God. He had more learning to do. So Moses' excuse moved from generality to specificity as he claimed to be slow of speech and of tongue. And the question in this part of God's dialogue was, with Moses was, but Moses, buddy, my friend, who created your mouth, Moses? Who created your tongue, Moses? I did. The Lord did. And there is no worthy excuse that we can give God that will exempt us from his call upon our lives. See, Moses was talking with the designer of the human body who strategically placed a mouth underneath the nose and above the chin and who strategically placed a tongue inside the mouth, behind the teeth and before the throat. What a designer. What a great God. And if God gave Moses a mouth, guess what? God could fill his mouth with words to speak. Just that simple. What Moses considered slow, God could easily quicken. And God also clarified to Moses that it is he who makes people mute or deaf. Now, that's hard for us to hear sometimes because we know people who are struggling with those things. And we're like, well, is this their own doing or is this God's doing? Well, as we read scripture, there is a purpose behind everything. It is he who has made them deaf or mute. But we know that Moses was neither of these things because he was able to speak and he was able to listen to God. But what Moses considered ineloquent, God could make intelligent. And God, I love how he does this. He goes one step further to say that even if every person had eyes, everybody looking at me today, whether online or in person, you're looking because you have eyes. I hope so. Even if we have eyes, it is God who grants people sight, and it is God who allows people to stay blind. This is God's doing. See, God does not call us to do things that we're not capable of doing. He knows our potential, and he is well aware of his power at work in our lives. In fact, I want to stress it today that God calls people regardless of their ability or disability. He does not call us because of what we can do for him, but because of what he can do in and through us. That's what he's interested in doing. And so God answered his rhetorical question with the answer, it is I, the Lord. It's I, the Lord. You just need to know that today. If God is calling you to do something, he's telling you today, it is I, the Lord, who's calling you to do it. God created you. He can certainly use you. He doesn't want to make a fool out of you. He doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to step out in faith, and he wants you to trust him, and he will show himself strong in your life. Secondly, today, God will help you. Isn't that great news? God will help you. Verse 12, now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses had wanted to stay where he was, and he wanted to keep on doing what he was doing, but God gave him a command. He gave him the imperative to go. Go do something. Go step out. Take a step forward in your life, Moses. Don't stay where you are. Don't stay idle. From a logical perspective, God can 
only help you once you start moving forward, once you activate that faith in your life, that there is nothing he can help you with in that state of neutrality. Someone else can't do it because God wants to help you do it. I love the book of Psalms. It reminds us that God is our helper. If you read in Psalm 28, verse 7, we read, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. Isn't that good? Psalm 54, verse 4, we read, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. In Psalm 118, verse 6 and 7, we read, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. And I love this. You might know this one, one of my own favorites. Psalm 121, verses 1 to 2, we read, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, these are the kind of promises, my friends, that you want to grab a hold to. These are the ones you want to cling to. They encourage us to trust in God, our helper. God had already given the hesitant Moses the miraculous signs of his staff turning into a snake and his hand transforming within his cloak, but it didn't seem to be enough for him to believe. What convinced Moses was the personal help of God that was offered to him that he would be a personal God. God does not call you and then send you off on your own and says, goodbye, great, all the best to you, have a nice life, all the best figuring that out. No, God comes alongside of you and he strengthens you from the inside out. He strengthens you in the moments of your weakness with his supernatural strength because we serve an equipping and we serve an empowering God, amen? He desires to work in and through you, but this help must be welcomed and not resisted. He's not going to overpower you. He's not going to inconvenience you. He's going to extend to you an invitation, and it's up to you as to whether you'll receive his power and his help or not. Whether Moses liked it or not, he would soon have to open up his mouth and speak to Pharaoh and to the Israelites and in doing so, all of this would lead to the exodus out of Egypt. That means if Moses never spoke, if no, Moses never obeyed and trusted God, none of the things we read in Exodus would have happened. Part of God's help is personal. While the other part of God's help is, for a lack of better words, I, I couldn't think of a better word, it's professional. It's a professional help. It comes to us in the form of teaching. And like a teacher and a student, God would be the teacher and Moses would be the pupil. We need to always possess a teachable spirit before God in order to receive his help in our lives. Are you teachable? Many people I come across today, they're like, I know it all. I, I know it. I've gone to school or I've studied that before. I looked it up on YouTube. I'm a master. Well, let me give you a box of Ikea furniture and see how you fare. <laughs> I recognize I don't know everything. You recognize you don't know everything. So we maintain this teachable posture in our lives. And this requires more listening and less speaking. Isn't that true? That we always want to speak. We want to tell everybody what we think. We want to share our knowledge. But the reality is we need to listen to the voice of God in our lives. It requires trust 
in the wisdom of the teacher and humility in the heart of the student that something is being transferred, something is being passed on in this beautiful apprenticeship that we call life. In Luke 6, 39 to 40, Jesus told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall in a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So there is help available for us when we receive counsel from God. And God wants to form you. God wants to shape you. He wants to make you into a leader that he can use in your particular sphere of influence. And that's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you would not excuse the call of God today because of the promise of the personal and the promise of the professional help of God. He's there with you and he's going to help you do it. Thirdly, today, God will send you people. That's a good encouragement for us today. God will send you somebody. Verse 14 to 17, Scripture says, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well, and he is already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to you for, he will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. You see, in addition to the personal help and the professional help, God also sends us partners in ministry. That you don't have to do ministry all by yourself. Moses, you see, he was forced to leave his family at a very young age in order to save his life. He left his brother Aaron. He left his sister Miriam. And even though he knew of them, there was a degree of separation between them because they lived two different lives. One lived in the slave mentality life, another in the palace. And God put Moses in a family for a good reason. And may I also say God has put you in a family for a very, very good reason. God knew that Aaron was eloquent, even though Moses claimed to not be eloquent. And in his great omniscience in knowing all things, God had already sent Aaron to Moses. The man was on his way. See, because God is working all things together. God is at work not only in the scene, but God is at work behind the scenes. We learn three insights about Moses and Aaron's partnership in ministry in this portion of Scripture. In verse 15, we learn that Aaron and Moses both spoke. We see it in verse 15b, the second half, where it says, I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. Even though Aaron may be more eloquent, and even though Moses may be more educated, both Moses and Aaron were to have speaking roles in the plan of God. And this is important because Aaron didn't come and replace his brother Moses. No, he came alongside his brother Moses. And they were stronger together than they were apart. And Moses, due to his upbringing in the Egyptian palace, he would then be able to have the confidence to go speak directly to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Secondly, we see that Aaron spoke for Moses at times. You see this in verse 16. He will speak to you, to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. And so there's this parallelism that as God speaks to Moses, so Moses will speak to Aaron. 
And Aaron, due to his upbringing among these Hebrew slaves, he would speak on Moses' behalf to the Israelites. Whenever Moses would start to falter in his speaking, God would be right there empowering Aaron to speak on his behalf because it's teamwork, and teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) And so Moses was God's prophet, and Aaron would be Moses' prophet, and the two brothers working hand-in-hand in this beautiful ministry leading towards freedom and deliverance. And thirdly, we see that Moses and Aaron perform signs, not just one of them, both of them. Verse 17 says, but take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. See, the staff was a symbol of divine authority and power. And with it, both Moses and Aaron could do impossible things. You see, in verse 20, this staff is referred to as the staff of God. Imagine God in heaven just having this staff and walking around, and he gave it to somebody. And he's like, you have all power, and you have all authority now in your hands. You have my yes. That's the visual representation of the staff of God. And let me say that the same staff was dropped and turned into a stake. And the same staff was stretched out and turned water into blood. And the same staff was stretched out and brought frogs upon the land. And the same staff was stretched and struck the ground to bring about gnats upon the land. And the same staff was stretched towards the sky and brought hail upon the land. And the same staff was stretched and brought locusts upon the land. The same staff was raised and stretched over the water so that the Red Sea parted. And the same staff was struck against the rock and brought fresh water forth. The same staff, the staff of God. Have you ever noticed who performed the signs in Scripture? Do you notice who's the person who's wielding that staff of God? See, from the snake all the way to the gnats, Aaron was the one who performed the signs with God's staff. I looked back and I checked and I checked and read every portion of scripture there. And I noticed Aaron is the main figure. Aaron is the one who is wielding that staff of God. And then from the hail all the way to water from the rock, Moses is the one who performed the signs with God's staff. Isn't that cool? They were to both use the staff of God to do whatever God instructed them to do. God is only going to ask you to use what he gives you to do what he's called you to do. So partnership is God's idea. Someone else cannot do it for you, but someone else can do it with you. And that's encouraging news. See, God can use you on your own, and God can use two or three people together. But let us never be fooled into thinking that it was my work or it was your work that led to great ministry success, but it, will, it was and it will and it will always be God's power working in and through us. My favorite scripture, you know it by now, I hope. Psalm 115 verse 1, not to us, not to us, O Lord but to your name be the glory. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God's power at work in me. It's about God's power at work in us. As I conclude this morning, the worship team comes. Leonardo da Vinci, you might know this painter. 
is widely considered one of the most diversely talented individuals to have ever lived. And as an artist, he is known for The Last Supper and The Mona Lisa, among others. However, his total output in paintings is rather small. There are less than 17 surviving paintings that can be definitely attributed to him, and several of them are unfinished. The small number of surviving paintings is due in part to his chronic procrastination. He often required a sharp threat by his patron that they were about to withhold payment in order to motivate him. And the Mona Lisa took over 15 years for him to finish. Think about that for a second, working 15 years on Mona Lisa. Worse was the Virgin of the Rocks, commissioned with a seven-month deadline. Da Vinci finished it 25 years later. <laughs> Fired. <laughs> Go on EI and figure it out. Da Vinci apologized on his deathbed, and he said to God and man for leaving so much undone. He was regretful. See, God calls people to build his kingdom, and he commissions us to complete many masterpieces for his glory, knowing that we are created for good works. Just as God is a creative God, we are creative creation. However, many of us have somewhere along the way become ap apathetic, making excuses and pro always procrastinating because other more important things get in the way of our lives. But friends, there will come a day when we may be, look back upon our lives like Da Vinci with great regret for the things that we left unfinished. Can I tell you today that you were made to do so much more? Can I tell you today that someone else cannot and will not do what God has called you to do? You must do it alone. You must do it with his help. You must do it with partnership with other people. But you must step out of the comfort zone and trust God with it. 